Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our BYU TV studios. Dave McCann sitting in for Greg Rubel. Welcome to Coordinator's Corner. Thanksgiving week is here. Offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick is here. And the Cougars are bowl eligible with Stanford coming up on Saturday. That's like a, on hockey, that'd be like a hat trick or something. This, this was a, a victory against Utah Tech you just had to have, no matter how you got it, because there are bigger things ahead. Yeah, and I thought we, you know, we took care of business and did what we were supposed to do. What about Saturday? How do you feel? We'll talk about it a little, little bit later in the show, but what's the... Going on the road against a very well-coached team. Uh, you know, Stanford maybe hasn't had the year they had hoped, but um, they have a lot of good players and very well-coached team. I mean, Coach Shaw, is a, if there's anybody that will get them ready to play, it's Coach Shaw. Two teams, really, that haven't had the year that, that they'd hoped clashing on the last Saturday of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, I, we got a chance to... We still have a chance to get our seventh win Saturday, and then... Um, that's that's huge. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for this opportunity. Let's start with some of the news of the day. Earlier, the Senior Bowl announcing on social media that junior receiver Puka Nakua has accepted an invitation to play in the Senior Bowl in January. Speculation immediately jumping that this must mean he's not returning for a senior year. But that's not the case. Puka saying even this morning, just keeping his options open. While he makes a decision, you look at those numbers, and you told us during our pregame conversation the other day, you won't be surprised if he's coming back. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I can't guarantee what he'll do either way, but I think he's wise to accept the invitation. And then after the season, we still have you know, two games left, then gather information from the NFL about where he's projected to go and then make a decision. I like what you told us in our production meetings about Nakua. He can do so many different things with the ball, more so than anybody you've dealt with. Yeah, what, what's uh, different about him than anybody I've ever coached is he lines up at every skill position in the offense. He can play anywhere on the field, in the slot, outside, in the backfield. Uh, he can do more things than probably anyone I've ever coached, which is, says a lot about his uh, intelligence as well as just his athletic ability. So when you're up in the box calling these plays, how tempting is it to go to number 12 too much? And then how... But do you kick yourself when you leave the stadium knowing you didn't go to him enough? No such thing as too much. We, that's our, our rule is we don't ever want to end the game wishing we didn't, you know, feeling like we didn't try to get him the ball enough. And if, you know, if, if uh, like Saturday, uh, Utah Tech was doubling him virtually every play the whole game. And so that's why you see Keanu have a big day, yeah. Cosper have a big day, and some of the other guys get a chance. But um, we're going to try to get the ball to Puka every game and then you know, it just makes the field open up for other people. I talked to Keanu this morning as we're getting ready for game day for Saturday night, and he said that, hey, we were only open yeah. because everyone was over here with Puka. Yeah, t uh, two, of, two of Keanu's big plays were they bracketed, uh, they bracketed Puka and left Keanu singled up down the field with no safety in the, in the post. If he does move on to the NFL, can he make an impact right away? Uh, I mean that's a tough league. I mean, I think those are the best in I the mean, world. I, I think he can, but that is a that's a you know that's a tough league, and you're you're going against grown men, you know, and and uh, I, I think he'll be a successful player in that league for sure. I believe in him, um, and a lot of it is you know where what team you go to and what their needs are and all right. that stuff. But and Tyler Algier I'm found big, that out. I'm a big believer in Puka. Yeah, indeed. All right, let's go back to Saturday. First quarter, you come out with all this stuff on the line. Yeah. It's cold, it's senior day, there's a bowl game to go secure, and there's no points on the board yeah. after the first 15 minutes. Are so you thinking, okay, what's up? Yeah, we sputtered a little bit there. Um, 
we had a couple of things going on. One is they had a coach on their staff that knows our, our offense really well, knows our signals. I think they had like offense. five coaches yeah, on their staff and, to um, do that. So we had to work through some signal challenges there um, for a bit. They, they seemed to have the perfect call a few too many times, and so we started changing up how we were signaling. And then, I don't know if you noticed, but later in the game, we went to just huddling. We, we stopped signaling altogether. And that's, really? Yeah, we strung together, I think, four straight scores when we stopped, uh, when we stopped, huddle, or we stopped signaling, just went straight to huddle. I think we scored four consecutive times. And that's an interesting move because Jaron is such a rhythm quarterback yeah. where you just want him to go. Yeah, it, we are a no-huddle team. We huddle a little bit, um, but we played a lot better when we started huddling in this game. And, and um, all of a sudden, some of their calls weren't quite as perfect. But um, it was good for us, though, to have to work through some issues. I mean, when you, my experience with these FCS games is you, you expect a win, and you expect a win by a lot, and then there's a lot of, like, pressing in the game why aren't we ahead by more already and then you just work your way through the game and when the game's over you won by a lot and you did what you're supposed to do BYU 17 and 0 now against these FC FCS programs let's look into the second quarter a little bit it's a much different story mismatches all over the secondary you mentioned Puka's getting double teamed and then Keanu and Chase Roberts all having big plays down the field the game just seemed to open up a little bit on offense yeah, that's true. Uh, I thought Keanu, he made some great catches. I mean, uh, the post corner route he caught was uh, was a great catch. This this ball where he kept both feet in bounds. That's the catch of the day, really, isn't it? Great catch. This one, I thought, that this catch right here on the post corner route was unbelievable. And uh, he played a, a really solid game. And then it was nice to get Chase going. Um, he threw a deep post to Chase that was, you know, right in stride. And... Um, Cosper got involved and had some big plays. I, I was, but Keanu really, really stood out. We're going to look at that play from Roberts in just a moment. I asked Keanu, I said, uh, did you go over to Puka and say he's not the only one that can catch one-handed <laughs> touchdowns? He goes, no, I did not. Like, almost like I wouldn't dare do that. But uh, you had some gifted receivers. Yeah, and uh, Fessy does a great job with those, those guys. He, he, gets, he gets everything out of them. They're ready to play every week, and they execute our offense really well. When you think about it over the course of the season, Baylor was – was Chase Roberts' night, yep. uh, which which no one expected for a freshman and uh, and playing without Puka. And you, the Wyoming game is, is Keanu's night. Yeah. Then uh, Puka has a number of his nights. Yeah. Back to Saturday, it's it's back over to Hill's night. Yeah, and Cody Epps had some games. And he had too, some big nights. You bet. And we're we're missing Cody right now. <laughs> but excuse me, he had some really good games mid-season for us. Uh, he's, he's a really good player as well. All right, not to be forgotten in the Keanu Hill show on Saturday is that play by Chase Roberts you mentioned a moment ago. Here's a kid that scored 40 touchdowns over to American Fork High School. Now he's up to three as a BYU freshman. You know, it was a great catch. He's fast, but the throw is even better than all of it. Yeah, this was, this was quite a throw for sure. Jaren took a little bit of a hit when he threw it, and, and uh, it was just an effortless throw to hit him right in stride. And uh, Chase can run. He is a, he's, a fast, he's a fast guy, and uh, I was really proud of him, the way he showed up Saturday. You know, we lost him a bit during the season with a hip issue. Everybody yeah. is taking shots back there. Yeah, he's battled through some injuries, and, uh, you know, freshman year, um, you know, you have some success early on, and then you deal with some injuries, and also people start to know your game a little bit, and so you gotta, you got to work through some things. And he's really come on lately, and he's, a, he's one of our best players. When you think about going to the Big 12 next year, and the schedule is going to come out here in a week, um, even if Puka and Gunner don't come back, you look at Epps, you look at Roberts, you look at Hill, you look at Cosper, 
You've got Rex, who will be back more healthy at tight end. We'll talk about him in just a few minutes. Then there's other guys like Terrence Fall. And I mean, from that, what, pool of targets for you to run an offense, you've got to be feeling pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, those guys are good players. We'd love to have everybody back. If we lose some guys, you know, that's, that's our job to keep replacing them. And recruiting never ends. So we will we'll keep being aggressive to bring in more good players and then keep working with the guys we have and keep developing them. But I like that group a lot. After a quiet first quarter, these two teams explode for 42 in the second. Everyone warms up in the stadium on a cold day with, with 80-yarders and 59-yarders as we look at some of that. But this Utah Tech quarterback, Victor Gabales, he started in the Sun Bowl last year for Washington State. You knew he could throw, yeah. and he came out with a strong arm and was chucking it deep early on. Yeah, and their best receiver is a kid we recruited that went to Washington State. Joey Hobart, right? Joey Hobart, yeah. We, we, know, we know him very well. Um, he's a really good player, and the offensive coordinator was Washington State last year, so those two guys are running the same offense they ran at Wazoo. So they've got quite a connection. When you're going up against uh, Craig Stutzman, who, who you uh, faced last year yeah. when he was the OC at Washington State, you faced him when he was over at Hawaii. Correct, yeah. And then he was the Hawaii quarterback that beat Brandon Doman in 2001 when the Cougars right. were 12-0. and uh, Here's a guy with a lot of history. He, he kind of had a good idea what, what BYU does, it seems. Yeah, he's, uh, he's been coaching against us for a long time, and he's, he's a guy where we, we all know really well. He's an excellent coach. Get some more of this from the second quarter of this shootout. We mentioned the 42 points. Back and forth, talking about Gabales and his arm, a broken play in the secondary, and Devin Osborne's off 80 yards, and then you come right back and go, fine, I'll go 59 on the next touchdown. Yeah, we got it going there in the second quarter. It was, you know, we, we sputtered a little bit early, but um, we were moving the ball well. We just had a couple of, you know, miscues, and then once we got it going, it felt like we took control of the game. There's Hobart. They like to think of him a lot like BYU thinks of Puka Nakua, so they score, and then you go right back to Hill. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the plays there where they doubled Puka and gave us a chance to throw it over their heads, and then this was a great play. This is a, actually a QB draw with an RPO, and they blitzed us um, one more guy than we can block, so Jaron has to get the ball out fast, and he made a perfect throw, and it was an excellent catch. Blaine Fowler mentioned during our broadcast, that four-yard touchdown seems routine to the fan, yeah. but that has to be a very, very good throw. I'm glad Blaine mentioned that because that is a play that you, you have to practice that a lot. I mean, we have five blockers. They're rushing six. Jaron has to angle drop away from the unblocked guy. Our old linemen pick up the right five, and then it's got to be a perfect throw and catch to, to be able to execute that, that play. It was, um, I was, I, that's, that's a play I was really proud of for our, our players. When you look back at that first half and then you go back to the Boise State game, you have, you have three halves where – where this offense feels like it's restored its identity. And it, and, it, and it feels like you now are confident calling whatever play, as opposed to, you know, I want to call this, but this guy's got a bad knee. I want to call this, yeah. but this can't be here. It seems like everything's back open. Yeah, we have, you know, just more players available to us now. And um, I think a big thing is just Jaron was pretty beat up there in midseason for a few games, and he's throwing the ball really great right now. He's, he's in command and uh, just running the show out there. Hey, plan to be with us tomorrow night for BYU football with Kalani Sataki, Stanford transfer. Houston Haymuli going to join the coach and Greg Rubel at 8.30 Eastern time. Might be Spencer tomorrow night on the BYU TV app. Hema delivered the block that got Terrence Fall into the end zone in the fourth quarter on Saturday. He's a great interview. Should be a fun show tomorrow night. Coming up, a look at Jaron Hall's career day and the challenge he has coming this weekend at Stanford when Coordinator's Corner continues on BYU TV.
going to make some noise here so far. Here's Hill making more noise. Another touchdown, you bet. 45 yards. It was a big day for BYU TV with a football basketball doubleheader and a pair of wins. We love calling games. We love winning even more. We welcome you back to Coordinator's Corner. Offensive Coordinator Aaron Roderick here with us. Um, six wins, get you into the postseason, chance yeah. for seven on, uh, on Saturday. But getting to a bowl game is priority number one. It's on a plaque over at the Student sure. Athletic Building. Why is it so valuable when there are well, you, so many? You just you get a chance to play that extra game. You get all those extra practices. It's like an extra, it's almost like an extra spring ball. By the time you play the game, you've, you know, spring ball's 15 practices, and you usually get 12 to 15 before you play the bowl. So, um, you know, it depends when your bowl is, but you get a good amount of practices. So it's just a great opportunity to develop your younger players. And then it's a great chance for everyone to play another game together. I mean, in my opinion, there's no such thing as a bad bowl game. I love them. And considering the next time we're at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, there's going to be a big 12 stamp down on the field, and it's, it's a whole different animal. So you have a bowl game, you have Stanford, a bowl game, spring practice, whatever gets uh, done in the summer, a couple of, what, Sam Houston, Southern Utah, and then a gauntlet of 10 P5 starting with Arkansas. I need to just think about Stanford. How about that? I need to just think about Stanford right now. You're, you're overwhelming me. Yeah, sorry about that. that. So, yeah. I'm, we like yeah. to think about We like to be overwhelmed. Yeah. We're in a constant state of overwhelming. But, but as far as the value of practice, we'll yeah. bring it down to today's yeah. practice moving forward. Every practice. So critical. Yeah, every rep, every practice is critical. Um, it was nice to get a few of our young guys in at the end of the game Saturday and got them a few reps. But, yeah, we're... We're, um, we're all on to Stanford now. I didn't mean to get you over. We may need you to get some more water in here. I'm good. To think of those 10 P5s coming up. BYU gets into the third quarter up 28 to 20. And, um, and we talked again in the production meeting, which is interesting because we meet on Friday and then the game's on Saturday. And we kind of compare what you thought you'd be able to do with what, with what happened. And you talked about Chris Brooks was going to get the ball and he was, was going to get the ground game going. And then he did. Yeah, yeah, the plan was to get uh, Hinkley some carries in the first half and then sort of let Chris take it over, and that's what, that's what we did. And I um, thought Chris ran really hard, he, and he did a good job showing some patience because it, it, you know, his opportunity came a little later in the game. 146 and, yeah, yards he, of total thought offense. He, thought, second he ran, half. thought he ran really well. Yeah, he ran angry. You know, he did. That's when, he, a, when he runs with violence and you know physicality, he's he's a tough guy to stop. You got to think he's going to run with some violence uh, Saturday because as a, as an old Cal guy, yeah. they don't like Stanford for a variety of reasons. Yeah, he mentioned that to me Saturday <laughs> that he's he's excited for this game. It'll be fun to see him back there. Jaron Hall doesn't throw many interceptions. In fact, in 707 career passing attempts, only 11 have gone to the other team. One went to the other team on Saturday with a tip ball. We're going to show it to you and have you walk us through it. So when he doesn't throw picks, we like to study him because they're a rarity. Well, he made a good decision. The ball just got away from him a little bit. And if you if you notice, the guy who intercepted the ball actually luffed into it because we were running a post corner route outside. And Chase beat the guy so badly that he, he got turned around on the post corner and just luffed into the ball, hitting him like, if he wouldn't have gotten beaten so badly on the post-corner route, he wouldn't have even been there to intercept it. Here's what he's seeing, and he's, you see, he's seeing Chase wide open. Yeah, but uh, Jaron made a good decision. This, this ball just got away from him a little bit. And, uh, you know, if you throw the ball 40-something times, there's a chance there might be an interception, and you just got to play through it. If you throw it 707 times, yeah. it seems like there's a great chance for more than 11. He's been pretty good. He's, he's, he is one of the best I've ever seen at taking care of the football. I mean, he is elite at protecting the ball. Think about it. This season, last season, uh, BYU just didn't give the ball up 
uh, a fumble here and there. Lapini had one Saturday, but but uh, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a hallmark of our offense the last three years is to take care of the football, and um, you know two two turnovers on Saturday is more than I would like, but um, overall we we are a team that takes good care of the ball and we'll continue to do that. Let's spend some time now on on Hall. He took advantage of that big offensive line, talented receiving group. Also had the FCS secondary, which, which helped, but he threw for a career high. 456 yards and five touchdowns, ran for a touchdown. So that gives him six on the day. That's a nice Saturday. Uh, his shoulder's healthy, and when he's healthy, as you've said many times, and we saw him healthy at Boise State again Saturday, he's an NFL-caliber quarterback, can make all the throws. Yeah, he's a good player, um, and I thought, you know, you still have, you have to throw those completions. I mean, you still have to go out there and make the plays, and he did it on Saturday. And um, a couple of those throws he made were just really accurate, down the field throws and then when he runs the ball it just opens up the whole game for our offense and he's been running more lately I've been calling more runs for him but he's also been making more plays just scramble plays that uh, really open up the game take a look at his numbers uh, and as as with Puka his future is, is his decision to make but do you think as we sit here today that he'll be behind the center when Sam Houston's here in September I mean, I can't answer that for sure. I, I hope that he stays, I, um, but I will support him no matter what because I do think he's an NFL player. What, we're, what we'll do is continue to gather information um, from a variety of sources. We'll, we'll turn in his paperwork to the NFL and they give us a, a report on what round they think he'll go in and then we'll sit down and talk about it. And I, I think that he'll make a wise decision. This game Saturday, for everything you just said, is a rare, very important game for him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's important because it's the next game. I mean, in football, you, it's, you get 12 opportunities, and every play of every game is so precious, and, and you cannot take one play for granted. And so this is the next game. It's a quality opponent on the road in the Pac-12. Uh, it's a great opportunity for everyone, and, and um, I can't wait. I'm really excited for it. He's 5-1 and one against the Pac-12, so he's not afraid of those Pac-12 teams. Last Thanksgiving, we were at SC for the regular yeah. season finale, put together a nice game. In that game, Isaac Rex, yeah. Rex his ankle, um, surgery, no spring ball. You're not sure if you're going to have him. He promises you'll be back. He shows back up in camp, ready to go somewhat in the fall. And let's look at some of his work from Saturday. But uh, a note you had mentioned is that that ankle's been bugging him this whole season, and he's decided to play through it rather than sit it out. Um, and yeah. still finds ways to make some plays. He's one of the toughest guys I've ever seen. He easily could have sat this year out or taken half the year off. Um, what happens here? I mean, the, the tackled injury. by the three yard. And I think that's just a good example of he's just not all the way. He's not all the way back, but he's he's getting there. And he is um, to put himself out there and play the way he's played for our team this year. I just I have so much respect for him. Our whole program, everybody does. And he's a great receiver. Um, he's a good blocker, great blocker. He's, he's, uh, he's one of our best players as well and one of my favorite kids I've ever coached. And I love him. 19 career touchdowns. Yeah. And he's yeah, got he's two a, years remaining. He's a touchdown machine. I mean, because he's, he's, he's such a weapon. He's got such great size and range. You can, I thought the other touchdown that they called pass interference on was questionable. He, he didn't push off. He just competed for the ball. Um, he's such a big target that he's open even if he's not open. When he comes back even healthier uh, for next season, what does that do to the tight end spot in your offense? Well, I, I think he'll take a huge step forward because he's going to have a whole offseason to get back to running, you know, the way he did before. 
and um, you know, and, and just another year of experience in our in our offense. And um, you know, I just think he's he should be one of our top targets next year. Be one of our best players. Terrence Fall, another big, wide, tall receiver in yeah. this group. Uh, maybe more tall than wide. I should yeah. I should I should correct that. He gets the last touchdown of the day uh, back on Saturday. We want to look at it here. You're trying to run the clock out. Utah Tech keeps calling timeout, so you, yeah. you're running around the corner. But how about Houston Haymuli's block to get him into the end zone? Yeah, we were planning on just running the ball three times and taking a knee, but then when they were calling timeouts, we decided to keep running it. So uh, we ran this jet sweep. I wasn't going to throw a pass or anything like that. I didn't think that was the right thing to do. But um, yeah, we gave the jet sweep to Terrence and got, got some good blocks. Houston got out there and made a good block. and. Uh, I think the other one was Ethan Erickson got out there and made a block, and then Terrence, Terrence did the rest. Once that game ends, 52 points on the board, uh, the seniors, the 13, have their moment. They do the senior walk, receive their blankets. That handful of, maybe a bigger handful of juniors that might go, also uh, honored after the game. What are those moments like? You had one. What are those moments like now as a coordinator to go, you know what, I'm not going to see that guy anymore? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's emotional. You want to make sure you make a connection with each guy and let them know how much you appreciate what they've done for our program. And uh, we still have more football to play, but it was a good opportunity to just thank those guys for everything they've done. It's going to be warmer in Stanford. Yeah. You know, it's and not going to be balmy, but it'll be warmer. The, and a lot of those guys have got a blanket. I'm still hoping to decide to play next year. So, but, um, they, but for the ones that don't have a choice to come back, man, we're going to miss them and uh, really appreciate all that they've done. I heard this, and I don't know if it's verified or not, but, but uh, for the juniors that walked and got blankets that come back, and then they walk again, they get a second blanket. <laughs> they don't have to return the blanket. So why wouldn't you do that? You get two blankets. Might as, might as well get a second blanket. <laughs> Let's roll out our offensive MVP from the Utah Tech game in the regular season home finale. And, uh, well, you've been riding this guy for a long, long time, and he's been getting protected by the guy to the right, yeah. Blake Freeland. Yeah, first, I want to mention Blake. Uh, he, he graded over 90% and played a really great game. He's been a great player for us his whole career, and I uh, just thought he was outstanding on Saturday. And, um, and then, of course, you know, Jaron had a good game, but he can't do it without those guys blocking for him. That's been a monster offensive line, and, and while it's been documented that the running game has struggled all season for a variety of reasons, the pass protection has been solid throughout. Yeah, and I would push back a little bit on the run game struggled all season. I think our, our, you know, our average per carry is really good. We've had, our, we had a few issues in, in certain games. We've had, we've had some short yardage issues yeah. that have cost us, um, and a lot of that is, you know, I'll put that on, my, on me. I've got, I have to scheme that better and call better plays, but... Um, really proud of our offensive line. Those guys are, those, that's a good unit, and they've played well all year. You can push back anytime yeah. you want. This is your yeah. show. I'm just the fill-in host yeah, today. Yeah, I, so. I, I'm, uh, you know, we, we, um, we need to get better, but I think those guys, the offensive line in particular, has done a really good job this year. Defensive MVP, Jacob Robinson. Again, he's, he's building a nice season, got an interception, big, some big plays in the secondary. Yeah, he's a competitor. I, mean, I love the way he competes in practice. He's kind of a slight frame guy. You wouldn't think... You wouldn't think he's as tough as he is, but he is a tough competitor, physical player, and um, one of my favorite guys on the team. As we go to break, we remind you that dinner after the game at JCW's includes something for everybody from burgers to wings, shakes to salads, JCW's quality, and a lot of it in Lehigh, American Fork, Provo, South Jordan, and now open in Harriman. Lots of coverage around the BYU-Stanford game on Saturday night, including 
on BYU Radio. Greg, Riley, and Shep get things going at 9 Eastern from Stanford Stadium and from our Provo studios on BYU Radio. Coming up, finding a way to slice up the Cardinal, we turn our attention to Stanford when Coordinator's Corner continues on BYU TV. Winds up, wants another deep ball for Osborne. This one's picked off. Jacob Robinson with the interception. Anytime an Orem Tiger makes a play like that, other Orem Tigers feel important to put that in the spotlight. So Robinson with the pick and uh, really kind of helps turn things a little bit. You needed to stop just to get ahead of the back and forth scoring and then, and then you took it from there on Saturday. Yeah, that was a great play by Jacob and it was an opportunity to sort of uh, extend the lead and take control of the game. So it is uh, Stanford on Saturday. As you put your game plan together and you start putting it in practice today, what, where do you start? Well, we, um, you know, today we just start with our base down, you know, first and second down run game and pass game. And um, then tomorrow we move on to third downs and red zone and work our way through the week. What's their style? Um, they are a physical team. They, they like to... Um, they're, they're what you'd expect with Stanford. They're smart guys that do everything right. They're where they're supposed to be. They fit the runs the way they're supposed to fit. They're where they're supposed to be in coverage. Um, I think they've had some injuries this year and they're a little bit beat up, but uh, they're still competing really hard and they have great length. They're, they're, there's no short guys on that defense. They've got length at every position. Three and nine last year, three and eight this year. You've had to scheme against them both at Utah and here now at, at, at BYU. What's different about them? Uh, why are they not the Stanford that we've known for decades? Um, I don't know if I can answer that, but I've coached against these guys enough that I have a lot of respect for them and know that they, they'll be ready to play Saturday. I mean, uh, David Shaw is an awesome coach. I've known Lance Anderson a long time. Uh, coach Lamb knows these guys even better than I do, but um, they're good coaches. If there's anybody that will have their team ready, it's Coach Shaw and, and Lance Anderson. They're well coached. You're back to the standard keys of – Protect the football, move the chains? Absolutely. Yeah, that never changes. we got to take care of the football and uh, get touchdowns when we're in the red zone. Thanksgiving week is here, so let's finish here uh, with our portion with the great Aaron Roderick. What are some of the things you're most thankful for? Um, th well, thankful for my family, of course, and uh, I'm thankful to coach these guys. I get to, you know, these players are, uh, it's a joy to coach these guys. Um, I'm, I, you know, every day I'm really enjoy working with guys that want to be great, want to do everything right, want to be coached. And um, it's it's great honor in my life to coach coach these guys. How many times this week will you make, wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, I should run that play or that play would work? Oh, I, I, yeah, I don't sleep. I don't <laughs> sleep very much. I mean, I always... The thoughts are win constant. Or, win or lose, you always have plays you second guess or, you know, and... and uh, Think about those more than the ones that worked. Well, we yeah. wish you some sleep and a happy Thanksgiving and Thank another you. win on Saturday. Thank you for being Thanks. here. Thanks. Appreciate it. Aaron Roderick with us and plan to be with us Saturday night for BYU Sports Nation game day at 9 Eastern, 7 Mountain on BYU TV. We'll be live from Stanford Stadium and here in our Provo studios for two hours of coverage, all leading up to kickoff of the regular season finale. I'll sit down with Keanu Hill as part of our coverage. The live post-game show follows the game back on BYU TV. Going to be a long day. Monitor your turkey sandwiches. Ed Lamb's coming up next here on BYU TV.
Welcome back to Coordinator's Corner on BYU TV as the Cougars prepare for Saturday night's game at Stanford. Ed Lambs, the assistant head coach, special teams coordinator, and safeties coach. Should I add anything else? Any more titles? Uh, no, please don't. Are we good with that? <laughs> We're good with That's that? all I can handle. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thanksgiving week, how is that different practice-wise and, and, and preparation-wise for a team? Well, we squeeze Thursday, uh, pra Thursday's practice into the morning, which creates a little bit of a challenge because we'll have Wednesday afternoon practice and then come right back on Thursday morning. The physical turnaround for the players is doable, especially since they get kind of a longer rest uh, after our Thursday practice going into the game. They can work with that. The, uh, the, the mental turnaround for the, for the coaches, especially to take that video from Wednesday's practice, flip it all around, notate it, get ready for Thursday morning's meetings. That's a little bit of a challenge, but it's one we're up for and we're used to. So Thursday morning and then Friday you fly down there. Right. So all there's left is a walk through at the stadium, if, if you even do that. A lot of teams don't even do that anymore. So is Thursday morning that the last blast of prep? Yeah, some people say that you know, the haze in the barn after Thursday. We're not, <laughs> like, we're not real fond of that because there's still a lot of work that goes on, but it's mostly mental prep after that. And this team's got some leadership at quarterback and, and some veteran players that, that can kind of guide through. Well, last week or last year was the same thing with the USC game, right? That's right. We've done it before. We've been on the road before. And, and again, you know, the team turns over every year. But one year to the next, just 12 months ago, we did the same thing. So we won't see some guys that we saw Saturday ever again in uniform at, at Lavelle Edwards right. Stadium. They've been through a lot. They've been through a pandemic, some of them. Uh, but they won, uh, what, uh, 27 games. A lot of those guys went 27 and 9. So a lot of winners there that you said goodbye to. What was that like? That's tough for me, and I, and I, you know, the the main role there, you, you saw Kalani in our administration, kind of going to each guy, and, yeah. and, and as assistant coaches, we'd like to be right there in the thick of that, but you don't want a long line of all the assistants. <laughs> but we've all, all been to wedding receptions yeah, that right. go forever. But we all have uh, special relationships and different ones. Some of those kids, we were we were in their homes when they were high school kids. They're unrecognizable four or five years, six years later, sometimes more with a mission, and um, just to see the growth that they go through and how important the game is to them. Uh, to live the ups and downs with them of a college football career and then, and then see them move on. It's, it's exciting and sad at the same time. We joke about Lorenzo Fautea being here as long as the whole staff. It he feels like been. he has yeah, been here forever, is not he? That's right. Yeah. Uh, he had some big plays. I, I remember his big game against USC but 2019, and, and then he dealt with injuries like so many, and to see him back out there and finishing it up. That's uh, right. Inspiration stories. And then you got a lot of juniors that might not come back. Um, yeah. Then again, most of them might might come back. This is a when, when does all that start? After Stanford, before a bowl game, when guys really have to decide what they're going to do? Yeah, good question. Well, it, it used to you wouldn't in the old days recognize juniors at all. Right. Things have changed so much. I mean, guys are graduating faster. Summer school is more of a thing than like it, even in the days when I played. And uh, and then guys have you know just more information about whether it's coming out early or getting job opportunities, just whether or not football continues to be right for them. So that's something that we've all been getting used to. I think it's a really good idea for Kalani to recognize anyone who might be moving on and then deal with it after. And, and as far as the, the timeline, we don't impose a timeline on the players. Yeah. If they're good enough to come back and help us win, then we're going to be very patient with that. 24 of them. 24 right. underclassmen. Yeah. And then I think some people from the crowd came down and were also recognized. <laughs> yeah. It was a mass thing after the game. Over in your team room at the Student Athletic Building, there's a plaque on the wall of the priorities for the season. Uh, right there at the top is, is become bowl eligible. Mm -hmm. And I asked Aaron about this too. Um, that was what was really the most significant thing that came out of Saturday. 
It was, yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, we want that extra opportunity for our, our seniors and upperclassmen, one more game. We want that extra opportunity to win. You talk about guys in their career over the last three years, 27. Well, how about a chance to get a 28 and a 29th victory right. in three years? That, that, that is rare company across college football for, for teams to be approaching 29, 30 wins in three years of play. So awesome opportunities um, that the bowl game brings about. And then for the underclassmen, the chance to get in extra practices. How have you seen that transition? We've seen it on the field, but but throughout the transition of, of Kalani Sataki taking a more aggressive role in the defense, calling the plays, uh, they look better against East Carolina, look really good against Boise State, and, uh, and and there were some bumps on Saturday, and then they locked down, and, and then the game was over. What have you noticed in that transition? Well, the thing that uh, Kalani brings is, is a vision of how he wants to see it done. And then, and then as that starts to occur, then there'll be an identity that, that carries through for years. And I think that's just something that he's uh, worked towards. You know, the first half we were really, uh, you know, got, got aggressive and, and uh, failed in some areas. But I think, it's, um, I think it's important to note that we just explained to the players, hey, these things work when you do them right. And in the second half, yeah, it was, it was much more uh, lockdown defense at that point. And I think uh, forced seven, maybe eight punts in a row and a bunch of maybe six three and outs in there, as I recall. So some excellent play in the second half, really shored things up and, um, and a lot of great individual and team efforts. There's a direct link, isn't there, between a defense that's stressed out as opposed to a defense that's laughing and having a good time? Well, there is. The college football is a game of momentum. There, there's the seasonal momentum, season to season momentum, week to week momentum. And, and this team has dealt with so many um, challenges and, uh, and, and voices and um, a resetting of goals. You know, I think yeah. at, at one time in the off season, it was like, we've got to beat Baylor and that's all that matters. And then because that was the true test after last season. <laughs> that, they were right. the only P5 that, that, that you didn't beat. Yeah. And so then here they come. And I remember that. And they're ranked number nine in the country. Right. And and uh, South Florida was just like, OK, let's, let's not mess up against South Florida because yeah. the really game. Mm -hmm. And uh, but sometimes when 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 it's all in in September, there's not a lot left after that. That's right. Yeah. And and uh, on us, you know, as, as I start with coach, anytime it's kind of an identity or a player issue for motivation and it and it doesn't transcend onto the field in a winning way, then, you know, as coaches, we figure out, well, how have we could have delivered the message better? How could we have had a more consistent message that would transcend through the length of the season? And uh, and, and so at this point, some of that is, is gone and passed, and it's important to learn from it but not dwell on it. And we've got to finish strong. And, and right now, you know, a couple of game winning streak, it, it feels pretty good compared to where we were four or five weeks ago. The second quarter on Saturday reminded us of the old WAC days, which was interesting because Utah Tech's now in the WAC. Yeah. Uh, and back and forth, there were touchdown passes of 30, 80, 59, and 45 yards. Let's look at some of the highlights. And you're a head coach at Southern Utah. The opportunity for smaller schools to come in in an environment like this, it is their Super Bowl, and sometimes they play like superhuman for a while. Well, yeah, and, and number one, give uh, give these guys credit on offense. That's they're, they're, maybe we're not the the most difficult offenses we've faced all year, the most talented, but they are. That is a is an FBS offense. They've proven that all year long. As a team, they don't have a lot of wins, but that's one of the best FCS offenses in the country. And when you talk about it being one of the best FCS teams, you're talking about being F FBS caliber. They, they played really well. I give them credit first. Um, when our guys did the right thing and, uh, and played hard, we, we significantly shored up on defense. But make no question, an FCS coaching staff and an FCS team, that is a 12-month motivation for their single FBS game. They can't wait to do that. They put all the work into it. The, uh, you mentioned a couple of mistakes there. The, they, 
Utah Tech really made like four giant plays mm -hmm. in the yeah. game. Three of them led to 17 yeah. of their 20 points. Then you made some adjustments at halftime. They scored six yeah. points in the second half. Um, fixable plays as opposed to we can't stop that kind of place. That's right, absolutely. And uh, you know, is it to the chagrin of the team, because all of all of those plays that that they got were on our uh, you know more aggressive defenses. We were really trying to bring a lot of pressure in the first half and establish some sacks. And and uh, havoc rate is something that we talk about as a, as a defense. And our players want to do that too. You know, we all love. I was a defensive end. There's there's nothing like a sack for the for the stadium, the fans, the defense. That you know, it's just it's an exciting thing. And. In the first half, we really chased that and, and weren't able to get it. It doesn't mean that that's you know that those were the wrong things to do, but uh, you know moving forward, we just need to continue to teach and challenge and get better at the ability to generate negative plays. So when you're out there on the field in the '96 Cotton Bowl, you're looking for a sack. Oh yeah, I was always looking. <laughs> I did not get one. I came close. I think it went over the top of somebody else's sack. That's about as close as I got. Jacob Robinson's putting together a nice season. He had a nice interception. We saw it earlier. We'll take a look at it again and some pass breakups. What do you like in his development? Oh, Jacob, you know, he's such a smart player, and, and uh, it, the development is a key for him, like, moving forward. He's gained some weight and some strength. He's got, he's got a ways to go in that area, uh, which I think is a sign of his potential. But he's such a smooth, intelligent player. He plays multiple positions for us. He started at safety. He started at nickel. He started at dime. He started at corner. He's that, that great play right there. And he made timely plays from the very first play of the game uh, right through to the end. He was, he was a stalwart for us. It's been interesting to watch some of these guys because I, I wrote an article the other day. Um, the defense that took the field against Baylor was completely different, especially in the secondary, from the defense that took the field against East Carolina, Boise State, uh, personnel-wise. So when you switch out your five DBs for five other ones because of injury, that's, that's the kind of season that's been back there, keeping guys healthy and some bond performance, but for the most part, it's been a shuffle. Yeah, it, which is, it, it's not unusual to have to, to shuffle guys on defense or, or on offense for that matter. It's fairly unusual to have that many injuries in the, in the secondary. You know, yeah. it, it, it's a little bit more of a skill position and, and we've had buzzards luck in, in, on the offensive skill positions and the defensive skill positions this year with staying healthy. I saw 20 players have missed time on the defensive side of the ball from injury this year. You only get to play 11 at one moment, yeah. and you got 20 that have missed time because, and you can't use them. Yeah, yeah, it, it's an interesting number. I don't, we don't, obviously, we don't keep track of it. It's just, it's something that's out of our control as far as by the time it gets to my level. I think yeah. it's something that Kalani and our sports scientists and and uh, strength and conditioning coaches really look at closely. And by the time it gets to our level, it's like, hey, don't look at that. That that's excuse language. Show me who I got. Yeah, who's next? Let's let's give another player an opportunity. Hey, plan to be with us Tuesday night for after further review. Blaine Fowler, David Nixon, and I'll break down senior day, and we'll spend some time previewing Saturday's showdown at Stanford. Watch us at 7 Eastern, 5 Mountain on the free BYU TV app. Coming up, Ben Bywater making some plays as the Cougar defense stiffens up in the second half. Oldroyd right between the hashes from 32 straight away. Kick on its way and through for three. BYU 45 and Utah Tech 20. Back to routine. Jake Oldroyd has had a roller coaster kind of season, kicking field goals for BYU. Settled back down the last three games, three for three. Confidence restored. I think everyone had confidence. It was Jake's confidence restored in himself. He'll go down as one of the best kickers in BYU history. 
Uh, he should, and, and certainly one of the most talented. And uh, this is something that he'll carry with him. It's not, it's not something we design, but when difficulty and adversity happens, overcoming that in, in this, at this age in a, in a young man's life, he'll be able to carry that story with him forward. And I really think he has turned the corner and we've got a high level of confidence right now. Paint a picture of what it's like um, when, when you're his coach and he's out there struggling and you know his potential. You also know he's made 16 in a row. Right. But he's missing kicks that you've got to get. Right. He comes back off the side on the sideline. You got to coach him. Yeah. So, yeah. so what do you do? Well, it's, it's <laughs> there's a real balance there, right? Because it's uh, it's like a, a swing coach in golf. I mean, nobody nobody golfs better than you know, Tony Finau or whoever, right. whoever those pros are. But they still have a coach. And so, as that coach, you're trying to point out inconsistencies. You're trying to be positive. You're trying to uh, play some you know, part psychologist. And that's what I went to graduate school for. So I know that the first part of being a great counselor is just to listen. And, uh, and show belief in them. And, um, you know, obviously, from a coaching perspective, like, like I fail if we miss one kick. And if we miss two in a row, I fail even worse. But, but that's not really how I think of it. How I'm thinking of it is, okay, the next kick. How do we get this guy to make the next kick? And then, and then the total picture of seeing him, you know, move into this part where he's actually doing well, that's really satisfying. Speaking of kicking, uh, six straight punts for Utah Tech in the second half. What adjustments did you guys discuss at halftime to just take over the game? Well, what we this is going to be much to the chagrin of everybody that wants to hear that we brought a lot of pressure. We, we actually just went into a drop eight mode in the whole second half and they averaged three yards per play. And it worked because your three guys, the three down linemen started to get pressure, right? Right. And it when was, you get pressure, the eight-man drops genius. I know it's 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 one of those. So one thing that I think everybody just knows inherently when you hear it. I mean, the the, the pressure always works with with the coverage. If the coverage is not holding up, and it doesn't matter whether you're bringing eight on the pass rush, if the pressure doesn't hold up, it, you know, they're going to get it out uh, more quickly. If the coverage doesn't hold up, excuse me. And so it's just finding that right mechanic and. And we don't, we didn't want to do that as a staff, and that's that's you know the whole idea I think of Kalani coming in and and calling the game is to get more aggressive and to have some belief in that and and be courageous with it, and uh, it just was the thing that worked in that game, and um, you know I just again, you know, not what we set out to do other than get stops, but, but we stops see, feel great. We see it all the time when when the Kansas City Chiefs are on the field, yeah. the pros are dropping eight. Yeah, if they can get pressure. With three on Mahomes, they can win that game. Yeah. If they can't, they're going to get beat either way. Yeah. But um, but the, the drop eight has worked. The drop eight has worked in a number of games. <laughs> I, but fans don't like it. I don't know if you they can, understand you can it. Sense my discomfort. Yeah. Because here's the deal. Like when we're winning, everything I say sounds pretty dang smart. When, <laughs> when, you know, this season has been a challenge. Yeah. And it's been difficult, and I'm and and my fingerprints are all over what we do in all three phases. And and so basically anything that I say. Is is going to sound pretty dumb, you know. But, uh, That's not true. And <laughs> and Stanford doesn't do the spread and shred, which That's this right. uh, yep. Washington State offensive coordinator uh, likes to do and tried to do uh, back on Saturday. They're a different kind of a, a team to defend against. We're going to talk about that coming up as we continue. It's a showdown unlike any other. Wait a sec. What did you say, Harrison? Oh, before we do that, let's do the special teams player of the game. Yep. Oh, great. Uh, great. A huge play. I want to start with Hobbs Nyberg, who had okay. uh, a, a couple of nice punt returns and then one really big kickoff return. We're losing at the end of the second quarter, looking at going into halftime, uh, maybe down a touchdown, and he rips off a, a kickoff return. He and the, the kickoff return team rip a, rip a kickoff return out to midfield. 42 yards, score. right? Yeah. I mean, 
That was a, that was a, a scary moment right there, and I thought that uh, the kickoff return team really responded well. So it gave him the uh, the player of the game to continue to believe in himself. He was disappointed in an earlier kickoff return that he chose to catch and didn't get much yardage on. Um, Hinkley Ropati uh, recovered the, the onside kick attempt at the end of the game, which is a big play for the whole team, for the defense not to have to go back out there. Uh, he also dealt with uh, kind of some uh, minor fatigue injuries throughout the game. And then uh, I think the top block or the top rock was George Udo, who had a tremendous game on kickoff coverage. George Udo is built like uh, like Mr. Universe. Yeah, yeah. George George Udo is uh, yeah. The players call him a freak. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about forty time, your squat, bench, any type of uh, uh, tangible assessment of athleticism. He's at the top of the charts. Coming up, a showdown unlike any other, matching two P5 level Latter Day Saint missionary quarterbacks on national television for the first time. We'll look ahead to Saturday when Coordinator's Corner continues on BYU TV. Coordinator's Corner on BYU TV is brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys, Built Bar, Fuel the Journey, and by Siegfried and Jensen, helping Utah families for over 30 years. Pleasure to be hanging out with Ed Lamb here on Coordinator's Corner, Stanford on Saturday. You got Tanner McKee, the Cardinal quarterback, and Jaron Hall, the BYU quarterback, both return missionaries with a lot in common and for the first time at this level on national TV trying to beat each other. Yeah. That, that's must-see TV right there. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I, I can't speak personally to serving a mission, as you know. But uh, but you've sent many I, out, I've and you've seen them come back. Right. And, and I think for a while there might have been a narrative that return missionaries can't, can't play quarterback. Right. There wasn't one here for a long time. So Jaron's breaking that mold. Tanner's breaking that mold. Two really good ones. And uh, guys I've seen grown up, I played with both of their fathers, uh, Tanner's dad at Rick's and, uh, and Jaron's dad here at BYU. So... A great story and a great couple of young men. All right, defensively, how do you beat McKee on Saturday? Well, we've got to we've got to be able to um, get that right blend of coverage and pass rush, and uh, they, they're not a one-dimensional team. We've, we've got to stop Tanner. We've got to stop their receivers. We've got to stop their offensive lines. Physical and opens up holes. They've had some running back challenges, and so we've got some new guys rotating in there. We need to be ready for whatever they give us. Cardinal lost four straight. They're three and eight. They went three and nine last year. So they'll look for a big finish at home on Saturday. There's going to be a sea of BYU fans there. We anticipate BYU out actually numbering Stanford fans in their own stadium on Saturday. Just kind of how it's been down there and, and BYU fans in Northern California. There's I don't know how many millions of them or so it'll feel, but you'll be well-received when you come out onto the field uh, that's a great on thing. Saturday. We're, we're not entirely un, uh, not used to that. You know, there's right. a, lot of, a lot of good fan travel on the road for BYU. Thanksgiving week, what are you most thankful for? Oh, yeah. You know, life and health so I can do the things I love to do, be, be with my family, coach these players, and finish out a season strong. That the, you know, that just the, the daily gratitude of realizing that not everybody has life and health. We got to know your story and your family a little bit in the newspaper and with Deep Blue. Yeah. Uh, it's freezing cold outside. Are you still riding with King Edward? We are, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we, we rode yesterday. It was pretty good in the sun. And then a couple of those canyons we were in got a little windy and shady. And it was a little, little chilly, but he loves every minute of it. That's great. Considering the season that's been, to end with a P5 opponent on the road on TV Saturday night, Thanksgiving weekend, be pumped for it? 
Absolutely, yeah. So excited. From the moment last game ended, it's it's all moving forward and uh, super excited about this opportunity against uh, you know a team that they, they may be struggling to win loss, but they're make no mistake, it's a good team that they've got to win over Notre Dame. Our players know all about how tough they are, and um, it'll be a good challenge for us. Ed Lamb, good to have you here. That's our show this week. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow and after further review and Saturday night on game day from all of us at BYU TV Sports. I'm Dave McCann. We wish you a very happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for watching.